Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, disruption is in the air, or rather on the ground, as strike threats loom in Europe. Hong Kong protests take their toll on Cathay Pacific, and airlines reveal the initial cost of the max grounding. We look at how airlines fare in terms of female representation in the C-suite, and how investment guru Bill Frankie has built an ultra-low-cost legacy. My name's Graham Dunn, and joining me to talk through all this and more is my airline business colleague, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. Here, here we are in our in our new surrounds. Yeah, so um, airline business has got a new owner, and that's um, uh, DVV International. So they've taken on all of the uh, aerospace, uh, aviation, publishing and conferences stuff from our previous owners, RBI. So that includes Flight International, uh, as I say, our conferences business, um, flight jobs and everything. So it's exciting times for us. And... Um, yeah, so we'll still be working with our former colleagues a bit, so you'll still see uh, content from um, some familiar names there. But but one of the things uh, to look out for, irrespective of that, is of course, this is a podcast largely about uh, one man who's been on holiday for two weeks talking to a man who had to do the news for two weeks. Mm. So don't be surprised if Lewis comes across as slightly more, the more informed, even, the, I mean, you <laughs> do normally, but even uh, more so yeah. than usual. Uh, can't promise anything, but that may be the case. I snowed under getting AB to press as well. So, yeah, yeah, we're, but we'll try our best. Yeah. And, it, and it's quite interesting uh, when you sort of cover the news, but uh, uh, when you're being on holiday and unable to influence it from your uh, from your beach, it's, it's interesting seeing what airline news makes it into mainstream uh, news. And, you know, there are obvious things, but during the summer in particular, it's no surprise that strikes and the, the potential threat of industrial action makes sense. It's a very big story in terms of the impact it has for those who, who haven't travelled, especially leading up to, to peak holidays. Mm. And in the UK, there's been a lot of news around there. Yeah, so we've got, um, on one side, we've got BA. Obviously, the pilots have um, uh, agreed to strike action. BA tried to stop that with a couple of attempts at getting an injunction, but that hasn't been successful, so that looks like that's going ahead. At the same time, there was... The threat of strike action at Heathrow as well, wasn't there? And yeah, absolutely. And uh, which, again, uh, would cause major impact. That was going to be around this uh, this bank holiday weekend, which is also when the first action at Ryanair, Irish pilots, that mm. is also currently um, in the pipeline. The Ryanair are doing some, uh, currently challenging that in the in the High Court in, um, in Ireland. Mm. And I think, you know, irrespective of there's a disruption story attached to that. But, you know, from our side, when we look at it, the Ryanair, side I find particularly interesting I think you know was this I don't know that this was a an inevitable consequence of union recognition but there's Mm. you know Ryan Hare had avoided um (laughs) has been through this this entire recognition process over the last couple of years and of course the other thing with Ryan it has so many unions yeah it's it's a strange way right now is the 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 consequences like you said what they've they've done in terms of recognizing unions is is playing out in that interesting way so um just uh, a few weeks ago there was a uh, an internal video of o'leary speaking to staff saying that um curiously because people haven't been leaving as much as they expected they will and because of the max issue as well so obviously they were expecting a lot more um aircraft coming into their fleet they're actually going to um considering job cuts that um um so it's kind of a curious uh consequence of that union recognition i think there's a i think the the kind of 
the reason I think partly that people aren't leaving is because they're probably being paid a bit better. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> so so their planning is obviously to staff up for people to leave and it hasn't happened. And on top of that, the, the MAX aircraft aren't coming in. So, But obviously, and then a consequence of that is that now talking about staff cuts, the unions are unhappy. So he talks about it's, Ireland in Spain as well. There's they, they, there's talk of strike action there because because some bases are being cut and, and, and jobs are going. So it's it's a new kind of and, and era for them. And... and uh, you know, pan-European low-cost stock prices are quite intriguing because, of course, they, uh, you know, it's different from a, you know, if uh, a British Airways goes on strike, you know, you expect most of the da- mm. challenges to be at one, you know, a major base at Heathrow and the knock-on effect around there. Mm. For for the low-cost carriers who have bases across, you know, lots of different bases, lots of different re- representation, mm. uh, you know, to some extent they're, Probably always going to be dealing with some kind of labour issues because it's it's across the board quite difficult to keep exactly, everyone yes. happy at any point. Yeah, the business model difference there. Yeah, makes that yeah. It, it's difficult to imagine the situation where everyone's going to be happy in that, in that and, situation. And equally, from a service disruption, you, it'll be different portions would be impacted. I, mm. I suppose so. You might have this. You know, it's quite a difficult message. Um, you know, so for Ryanair. The headline is Ryanair strike action, but exactly how much and where and who that affects is 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 probably a different kind of issue than it is for uh, you know a carrier which is just operating out of one base. You know precisely yes yeah um, the um, impact and how much that would hit. Yeah, it makes it at the same time it it spreads that impact yes and makes it does make it harder to quantify as well. It's difficult to to know you know how that's going to affect the day to day operations and when when they actually occur. Um, and it was, you know, as, as you said, it was interesting and pretty unusual for Ryanair to, to be talking uh, about cuts and stuff, you know, very much a growing airline. And, and you um, you mentioned one of the key factors in that, of course, which is the is the MAX aircraft, yeah. grounded um, now for several months. And the impact has, is really starting to show, not just for Ryanair, for a variety of carriers, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Um I think um, we've kind of tried to summarise it in the new new issue of AB. So it's um, it's not an existential threat, I think, to many carriers because I think we talked before that in in a lot of cases, even the biggest Max operators, um, it's a relatively small proportion of their fleet because they're only about three hundred and seventy, three hundred and eighty mm. in service at at the time of the grounding. So it's um, but having said that, the longer it goes on, and particularly um, this was the first f- kind of reporting period where it was a full three months without the uh, max in service so um the, the impact of that is is being felt but a lot of airlines are also saying looking into the second half of the year i think the the problems are going to become more acute because um you know they're paying paying out to to for, for aircraft to cover those that aren't going to service but also their expansion plans are starting absolutely. to be absolutely because um, you're not just you, you, we're not now not just talking about the aircraft that were grounded at the point of it but you're talking hmm. you're starting to get into the aircraft that were would have been in their fleets by now and yeah you know over a four five month process another you know have a many months that starts to get to be uh you know an, an even larger number and it have does, more of an yeah. impact. It does, and um, the the big US carriers, so Southwest, American, United. I think all of them have acknowledged that yeah, their growth will be um, stymied this year by that, and who who knows how long beyond that. So it is having an impact. As I say, it's not in in most cases, it's it's not um, you know not a I guess a, th- a threat to the, the airline survival, but it is certainly um, playing out. And we've seen also, I suppose, Norwegians an example. So they they cut their um, 
the Irish transatlantic mm. routes, which I'm partly citing the the issues with the the, the max for that. And, and in um, fairness, those routes were it's kind of were built off. On it wasn't it? Yeah. That was the basis. The the type was the basis of them. Now you yeah. know whatever other challenges Norwegian might, might have had, it's mm. a pretty legitimate argument that that was why. You know they were going to use that aircraft to to mm. operate those routes. Yeah, and, um, and uh, another operator that obviously um, uh, in the UK, TUI, TUI Group. Mm. So I think what you can see is these these airlines that may have been uh, um, facing a more challenging time generally. That this kind of the, the Max situation is enough to tip things into into much more kind of serious situation. So with with TUI, with with um, the the kind of package holiday market generally under question with um, Thomas Cook for example struggling at the moment looking from for a new injection of funding to to keep operating uh, TUI um, was one of the the biggest max operators um, I think it had uh, 17 18 in service at the time of grounding and they're, they're really feeling that and they've detailed some some quite um, significant figures in terms of the impact it's having on their bottom line and even some of the operators though Iceland Air relatively small airline I guess when we're talking about mm. these things well that means even though they only had five or six max aircraft um the, the the situation at the moment they say is enough to tip them into kind of loss making territory because of the impact um obviously all of this is with the caveat that a lot of them were expecting compensation mm. for for this so it's um but uh but yeah the longer this goes on the the um the more significant it, it, it's going to be for airlines, and as I say, particularly the ones that would have been struggling anyway. That I think we talked as well. Mm. Difficult thing to judge is um, is in some ways it, you look at a market like Europe, where the pressure on fares mm. at the moment means that more capacity coming into the market is probably not that helpful in that situation. So you, ne- you can never be sure how much actually not having those max coming in is is could be a positive for some yeah, carriers. For some yeah. carriers and, and you know p- a pressure on the inter- on on the network. You know the mm. uh, the infrastructure. Obviously, it was a you know terrible year last summer for for European operations. And even just you mm. know they would have even taking some aircraft out of that loop. Whilst you know at an individual basis, no airline particularly wants to do that because they've got mm. their plans. They've got uh, routes sold. They've got various bits and pieces. But um, you know, for the industry as a whole. It's, there's probably a, a, um, a silver a cloud, a silver, a silver, silver lining, lining. Yeah, silver lining. Silver. And either something <laughs> around the cloud. Yeah, but what actually was interesting as well, uh, some airlines have. Um, I, I saw a news sort of in the general media recently. Some airlines have put the Max kind of back into operation on on flights, some um, sort of towards the end of the year, and mm. people and people booking them have become aware. I've noticed that. That they are on max aircraft and kind of there there are kind of general stories in the news media of people being concerned by that mm. so we can talk all we want about you know how much um it's going to be a relief for the airlines once it's back in service what we can't see, see yet is what impact that's going to have on the consumer and and you know you know whether people are going to be wary of traveling yeah there's them. clearly going to be you know the plans and you know boeing i'm sure i'm sure i know have <laughs> kind of been thinking about this and working around this and hmm. and from uh from boeing's perspective i guess they have both the job of uh, and the regulators perspective both um uh getting the airlines airlines on board about the the aircraft and then there's there's a whole consumer side uh, around that as well so you yeah. know it's there's there's a there's a long way to go for yeah 
And you chuck in with the uh, sort of uh, significant number, I think nearly 100 were in service with Chinese carriers. And obviously, <laughs> throwing into that mix the trade wars mm. like Boeing, mm. <laughs> mm. Is, um, is, is, it's all very, very messy around that. But at the same time, you've got IAG. So obviously, we talked before, they placed a big order for, for Max Aircraft at, um, at Paris. And um, Willie Walsh has said since then um, that they would like to bring them into service sooner than, than initially um, talked about. So... Um, so yeah, they're obviously confident in the that the aircraft can you know serve in their fleet and that people want to fly on them. So um, so but yeah, nothing's I think guaranteed, and that that will be um, once we're over the hurdle of the clearance to get them flying again, and um, which you know can't happen overnight for a lot of carriers. A lot they need to do to to get the aircraft ready for service. But once we're over that hurdle, yeah, that there's going to be an interesting uh, story around you know the confidence in in them. So. Uh, and further uh, to the theme of disruption, um, mm. obviously in Hong Kong has been, um, and the, the airport has been very much a sort of focus of that. Yeah, th- this is an interesting one. I think um, you have tried to do a lot of reading around this. So obviously what's happened is uh, Rupert Hogg and uh, Cathay's COO both resigned. Uh, it's better um, but at the end of last week from when we're talking now. Um, so a bit of shock, just, just on the basis that, you know, Hog was brought in to, to, to initiate a turnaround, three-year turnaround for, for Cathay, who were really struggling. And he, he by most accounts, he seemed to be doing a pretty there's good been, job, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say Cathay has progressed. I mean, there's been a, um, an element, uh, Cathay were exposed to the, the air cargo market, and that um, mm. had, a, had a nice bump, which would have would have helped. But they did, they did a lot of work around restructuring. They've had the acquisition Hong Kong Express as well, so they're kind mm. of looking at um, uh, that low-cost sector and how they cater mm. for that. Um, but what's happened here, I think, by by most accounts and, and looking uh, certainly at the state media in China, I think um, partly because of the, the, the airport protests and everything is all linked in, um, Cathay had become kind of the focus on the mainland, particularly in terms of representing what was going on in Hong Kong as a business. So... You know, two or three weeks ago, Cathay's chairman you know, talked about how they wouldn't dare think of interfering in, in what their employees thought or wanted to do away from the office. What's built up since then is um, a number of businesses on the mainland had started saying that their staff shouldn't travel with, with Cathay, for example. And then eventually the uh, CAA, um, the China CAA, um, uh, issued a notice um, saying there was a severe um, safety threat because... Um, staff involved in the protest, uh, cafe staff were involved in the protest, and therefore um, that, that they they perceive that to be a, a safety issue for either flights um, actually in China or over flying China, which obviously a lot of cafe flights do when they head to to Europe, etc. Um, so there's all sorts of <laughs> conversation we'd have around um, whether that that's a fair uh, <laughs> assessment. I think I think ultimately though. Rupert Hogg is a victim of, of Cathay becoming kind of this symbolic of what's going on in Hong Kong. And obviously, uh, I think the vast majority of protests are peaceful and, and blah, blah, blah. But um, um, because of that safety notice from the CAA, there was a perception, therefore, that something needed to happen mm. at Cathay. Someone at the top needed to change. And, um, and it's quite, and, we see, we and we've seen this uh, um, across the border, airlines mm. all around the world, 
where airlines are very much a uh, you know it is a diff- it is a difficult environment for airlines to operate in because they mm. they are these kind of national carriers even privately owned even mm. you know it, it, it across all kind of regions and carriers become um, you know very much a, a kind of um, kind of magnet for these kind of issues and a lot of it kind of yeah. rests around it. both both I think you know seen both governments think this but I think consumers think this is why it's very difficult for mm. for airlines to make changes so when you yeah. know if if you're an airline thinking of charging for for meals in mm. that's quite difficult because a lot of people think mm. you know we shouldn't do that or if you want a brand to a you know a lower cost option and change your branding or you know whatever it is mm. those things are difficult to get across because yeah. not only do governments i think passengers and everyone yeah. thinks they've got a stake in it and probably you know rightly so that's it, yeah, and um, yeah, you're right. You see, I don't know the IT meltdowns, for example, at BA, things like that, because they affect so many people. And there's this perception that airlines so often are kind of viewed as a, a proxy for the, the whole country in a way, mm. too, and they're flag carriers. So, but in, in this situation, yeah, I think um, I think there's a it, in a way it kind of um, Cathay kind of encompasses sort of you know the the whole clash that's going on in in Hong Kong and China at the moment. You've got Cathay that. It's a company because it's owned ultimately by, I think, um, especially a mm. British mm. company run by a Brit as well. Rupert Hogg was born in born in the UK, but um, at the same time, you know, that, that they were, I guess, trying to um, their initial reaction to what, what was happening in Hong Kong was to not get involved. So um, what, what happened almost overnight when the CAA kind of intervened is suddenly they went for from. Well, I think it seems quite sensible to say, you know, our employees can, can they, they, up to they, a point, they can do what they want in their spare time. But um, they, they found that... They um, found that rather than not being involved, they're very much yeah, involved. Yeah, and now there's a series of press releases on their website saying we fully support the uh, Hong Kong government are against the illegal, in, in quotes, protests that are happening. So, um, unfortunately for Rupert Hoff, as I say, who seems to be doing a reasonable job, he's a, a victim of that that whole situation. But as you... You point out it's, it's it's always interesting how airlines are so often the kind of focal point of um, almost get what feels like an un, un, unfair amount of flack. Um, and in some ways, not, but in, mm. in some situations, they they certainly seem to get um, be a, an easy target for lots of um, <laughs> negative press coverage in a way. Maybe another um, could be fair, but other businesses probably wouldn't absolutely feel that. But, um, okay, well, we'll have more in uh, part two. If you're enjoying the Airline Business Podcast, get new episodes automatically sent to your phone by subscribing through your podcast platform of choice. Welcome back. And, um, well, also in the news and uh, seldom out of the news, Donald Trump. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) Donald Trump. um, So I think when he first took office, there was a a meeting with with, um, airline CEOs that got got some press coverage. And then... um, yeah, on the airline front, it's been relatively quiet, but um, there's a really interesting story and um, that broke in July. I think NBC News in the US kind of spoke to several people that were at a White House meeting where um, where there was an attempt to kind of at least um, make some progress on the, the the Gulf carrier kind of debate, particularly um, uh, with Qatar Airways in mind and, and Air Italy. Um, yeah, so the Gulf the Gulf carrier debate in the US, the, this is really around level playing fields, isn't it, I guess? Yeah, so there, there's... Um, oh, it's, uh, <laughs> do, to, yeah. where, to, where to begin? Where to begin, <laughs> but essentially you've got on one side uh, the, 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 the big three, so Delta, American, United, who, who um, uh, in this iteration of the debate, uh, have a problem with Air Italy flying um, into the US, 
uh, because Qatar Airways is a 49% investor in in Air Italy and Qatar Airways as part of an agreement um, reached uh, last year, I think, mm. uh, is not meant to operate um, fifth, fifth freedom, freedom flights into, the words, uh, into the US. So they, they think that they're doing it by proxy, essentially, yeah. by uh, investing in Air Italy. But it's important to say Air Italy um, complies with EU mm. uh, ownership rules. So um, as, a, as a starting point, it's quite difficult to know how they would mm. take action on it. But uh, anyway. Um, and that's so, been... And, 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 you know, the, that's the latest iteration in, in mm. sort of long-running um, debate around the Gulf US subsidy. Yeah, what, and, what's really interesting about the debate is you do not... There, there's nowhere near being a unified US view mm. on this. It's very much that those three carriers are, are, you know, very outspoken in being against it. But at the same time, you talk to um, people who run particularly as smaller airports, um, mm. um, they, they will view them as... Um, and smaller carriers as well um, will we'll say that they're uh, um, essentially as anti com- 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 yeah, uh, yeah. anti competitive. That's the word. Yeah. Uh, their, their actions are, yeah, are, are stopping um, you know smaller carriers, mm. for example, like Aerosly flying services, and and there's a risk as well in um, in them taking that 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 kind of action. So you look at someone like JetBlue, who mm. are on the other side, so do support um, what Aerosly are doing. They're you know, just about to look to start transatlantic services. If if um, the big US carriers are, are, are kicking up a stink about Air Italy, there's a danger mm. that there could be retaliatory measures, or it could be much harder for them to introduce the services. So they're very much in support of um, of Air Italy, alongside uh, the cargo carriers, so mm. Atlas and um, and FedEx, for example, because they rely on the freedoms of the air to do um, much more complicated kind of services within Asia and things like that. And yeah, so and, and so this had all been been sat there and and um, uh, Donald Trump had, as you say, he'd um, sort of spoken a bit and mm. uh, when he first came to, but had sort of said very little actually on this issue. Yeah, um, and there's um, this was meant to be a mm. secret meeting, so behind closed doors. But obviously, NBC ended up speaking mm. to a lot of people involved, and since then. Um, um, certainly on the the uh, the United American and Delta side, they they, they put out statements about the meeting. Mm. And, uh, but but basically, the the story was that, that that during this gathering, so you had um, those the big three. You had, uh, as I mentioned, JetBlue, FedEx, um, Atlas on the other side, mm. and Al- Akbar Al Bakr was there mm. as well. So as the CEO of Qatar Airways, and the NBC account of it is that it was a very um, tense meeting. There was shouting, <laughs> mm. um, but apparently Trump sided with uh, JetBlue. Blue, Phoenix, mm. and and Atlas, in in basically saying to the big three, um, you know, essentially he wasn't going to help mm. them. There are avenues open to them that are very long-winded, I think, to go via the DOT mm. and put in a formal complaint that way. But um, yeah, according to the embassy account, anyway, that um, he he wasn't having any of that from from the big three. What's interesting, and it's just an aside, is that Trump has. A bit of a history of Americans, so mm. um, we were looking back in the archives and old history of Flight International. If you um, look on flightglobal.com at this story or in airline business, you'll, you'll see this um, that he tried to buy American, tried to buy American's parent company. Um, I think towards the end of the the eighties, mm. and there were some quite um, quite tough words between the two sides mm. about mm. his uh, the derisory nature of his bid. I think at the time. Um, and he's commented on American since actually when the 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 merger with U.S. Airways, he, he he seemed to be against that. This is all before he was president. So I'm not not suggesting this influenced him in, on 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 the uh, the Gulf issue, mm. but it's certainly interesting that he's um he's got that history with them. Um, but yeah, so it seems 
this I don't know this story would ever go away. Mm. It doesn't feel like that no. those carriers are going to back down. But it's certainly interesting that you know um, if NBC's account is correct, then Trump um, sided with um, Qatar. What what was also uh, uh, for the optics of the whole thing a week earlier, um, Akbar Abaka had been pictured in the White House with Trump mm. signing, firming up um, a Qatar order for I think it's five triple um, seven freighters from Boeing. Uh, Kevin McAllister was there from Boeing, but very kind of um, kind of praising you know, Qatar Airways as a as a really important customer. And there, there's a photo of um, you know, Trump and Al Bakker mm. laughing together uh, as the documents were signed. They're looking at that, and then a week later, you know, thinking that mm. Trump was then going to start. Um, um, kind of, mind you, to be fair, I mean Trump isn't known for his consistency <laughs> on issues, but, but certainly in this case, the the optics weren't didn't seem to be there for the uh, the big three in, in in the meeting a week later. So um, yeah, um, so uh, interesting one. Whether it means anything in concrete terms, and whether it's, yeah, it's. Um, I think the you know that's going to be an issue that that continues to play. You know, mm-hmm. almost regardless of airity, I think the, these underlying issues issues and the kind of the fault lines emerge every now and then whether it be mm. within the cooperation within the within the global alliances or so forth mm. um you know there's the, there are sort of kind of fun, fundamental <laughs> different views on the mm. on, on the on the two di- different business models i guess um so that was taking a lot of your time and that's uh mm. the other thing which you've been diligently working on yeah for, um, for longer than expected <laughs> actually after we we trailed it in the last but one pod, I think. Uh, but, um, so we have our um, uh, annual survey, which has become a, an, an annual survey or report around. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, d- more broadly, diversity, but particularly looking at uh, the representations of, uh, of women in um, C-suite leadership teams within leading airlines. That's the thing. So we um, kind of uh, three years ago, I think now we were kind of looking at a lot of people talk about, you know, the lack of... Um, gender diversity at airlines blah 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 but you know that it's nice to have those concrete figures really to show uh, a you know the reality and b progress so mm. over the last three years we've been doing this survey of um of uh, basically use our top 100 ranking of carriers by um by rpks um and i, I basically go through and, and look, look uh, across six roles six of the key c-suite roles um basically record whether the um, incumbent is a, a man or a a woman and um um it's interesting it, it kind of there aren't surprises in some ways because yeah it, uh, the airline industry is uh, you know there's a perception it's kind of trailing wider economy and that is true yeah. I mean, the, the 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 facts bear that out um there's there's the, so from uh the last three years there's been slow progress in terms of i i guess generically it is difficult to to track that progress because because you're looking at quite small numbers, I mean, how many... Well, this is the thing, because they're... So, in this year's survey, so it shows how kind of bleak the situation mm. is, if you think it matters. There's kind of three female chief operating officers in the top 100 mm. airlines. There were four last year, um, and the difference is Chris Brown mm. stepping down. Obviously, a bit of controversy around that at the moment with um, who's stepping in with Peter Bellin. Mm. But anyway, that that shows that small changes make a, can make a big difference... Um, um, but I think that reflects um, the the kind of relatively the, low relatively low number. So on the CEO front, the um, the big news in the past year was Anne Regal mm. becoming CEO of Air France. So so, so this year there are um, four female CEOs in the, the top 100 airlines. Um, last year there were two, I think. Um, the year before there were four. 
Um, so actually on that side, while there's been an improvement in the last year, it's kind of just flat with how it was um, and it, a few years ago. So yeah, there, there is a bit of progress there in the overall figures. Um, and it's a, should, it, yeah. it is difficult to, you know, and, and, it, and the airlines and industry bodies would talk about well, you know, we can't change this overnight. Mm. You know, the various bits and pieces. I think one of the things you we've been looking at a bit is is whether is where airlines get their chief executives. Whether that's going to mm. change over a mix. And I think you know, even over the last ten years, regardless of um, of uh, gender diversity, you are starting to see a few more airlines looking outside of the traditional worlds, which were, I guess, yeah. Uh, Coming from the pilot corps or from yeah. um, yeah, so the legal a, team or the finance team. Yeah, there's a couple of things going on there. Obviously, a lot of airlines, so EasyJet's a good example, are really pushing, trying to get more women to come into those roles, like pilots mm. and, um, and engineering roles that eventually could feed through to them being in those C-suite positions. Um, but like you say, what, what was interesting is looking at what jobs the top 100 CEOs had immediately before becoming CEO and in, in and there's you can see the vicious cycle there so yeah about 25% of them were previously CEOs at either another airline or another airline in the group so mm. yeah if you saw Willie Walsh step, stepping up from from BA or whatever mm. um, and then uh, it's actually the roles where women tend to uh, the more female incumbents are, are, don't tend to be the roles that um, people step up from now what's interesting about Anne Regal is she was um, vice president for customers at Air France um, it's not a role that every airline has, so that's difficult mm. to track. But it is interesting. And we talk about, um, as you say, uh, Carolyn McCall is one of the most high-profile examples of a female CEO. And she came yeah, complete, She came from the media industry mm. into airlines. She's obviously since gone back to the, the media industry. Um, but it is striking there that the two examples of two of the yeah, highest-profile female CEOs in that top 100 did kind of come from roles where... Um, our new survey shows airlines don't typically mm. um, uh, pick people from. So, so uh, I don't know whether that's encouraging or not. It's probably not that encouraging because w- what you really want to see is that the, the evidence of women you mm. know, making their way up. I think I think one of the things you see are, is around t- the different types of airlines and types of air. Mm. You know, I think low cost carriers by um, by the very nature are a bit more um, consumer, a bit more retail, a bit more marketing mm. focused. Um, or have that that element to them in a way which you know a lot of state-run um, airlines may mm. wouldn't. So I think that kind of opens the door a bit beyond that that traditional um, having served in the pilot community, you know, yes, being yeah. the chief pilot or or so forth. So that and, kind and of changes the yeah. And the other thing you get with um, a lot of the state-run carriers is um, it will be a, a CEO that used to run the the national mm. ports. Um, kind of company or whatever yeah. so it's kind who of are, who, have, yeah. who are you know safe pair of hands in terms of yeah, running yeah. state companies yeah. and of course um, quite often don't run very long <laughs> that's the thing <laughs> it yeah. seems to be another but yeah the, the um, low cost carriers are slightly better as kind of the gaps closed a bit in this this year but they are they, there is a bit uh, a slightly higher um, number of female incumbents um, among those the, the budget operators as you say um, but uh d- just in terms of the airlines that stand out, I suppose there are only three in the. Um, so I look at six roles, only three airlines in the top 100 where they had 50 50 mm. split male female, and they were Air Canada, mm-hmm. who obviously won the um, Diversity and Leadership Award at our recent Strategy mm-hmm. Awards. So it's some um, kind of 
good to see that being backed up there. Um, uh, it would have been awkward if it didn't. Yes, it would really, yes. Uh, South African, um, uh, bit, there's a couple of acting people in, involved in it there, so that's um, kind of not necessarily where mm. it would be in the medium term, but certainly they do have a decent history, actually, mm. of, um, of, of gender diversity. Um, and Viet Jets, who um, obviously their founder is is, uh, is a woman, and mm. um, they, they, they've got a decent history of employing women in senior roles. Um, we don't you know, very much present the figures as they are. There's, um, I think, from my own point of view, what why it matters is is partly because if you know, at a very basic level, if you're not um, considering you know everyone and the widest possible you know group of people when you're when you're appointing executives, it's just from a, you know, a basic level. It's kind of you're not you're not necessarily getting the best mm. candidate. I also think the optics of it are, you know, we've talked a lot about the environment in recent instant podcasts, for example. So with airlines facing a future, where I think they're going to get a lot more scrutiny. I think if if again the, the optics of these, you know, all you know, middle aged men sitting in the executive team, it doesn't. It doesn't reflect kind of a forward-looking industry in the way you probably want it to either. The different voices will will be so helpful, I think, to airlines in dealing with the challenges they'd like to face in the future. So, um, and yeah, you know, on a very basic level, it's just the right thing that everyone has yeah. the same opportunity as well, obviously. But, but I think you know, it's become more pressing, and I think um, it's you know this this comes up. Um, you know, I there's. I, I guess I asked to take a bit of stick for its uh, board of governors photo, which has you yes, know remarkably yeah. f- few airline CEOs. There's only so much they can do yeah. around it, but just the the level of uh, of where of where that is now on the on the debate, both at, uh, at a, mm. uh, as we discussed previously, I think um, it is something that senior executives, the chief executives, are looking to lead, are talking about mm. now. It's a question of how quickly that that will change and. You know, I think hopefully one of the things we'll see through through our survey is a way of tracking that over a period of time, and you know it's still quite early stages mm. of that. But you know, um, it's uh, it's trending in the right direction, but very slow. I think I, I lead in the piece saying that if it carries on at the rate we've looked at so far, then it would be I think twenty fifty seven before there was a fifty fifty split between male and female across the, the those roles. But I'm not saying that's achievable or or necessarily realistic but but that shows mm. you the the, the level of the the um the, the change that needs to happen to to make a, a real difference in any reasonable time frame but um but yeah. Ch- challenges ahead mm. um in part three we'll be looking at a uh, an entrepreneur who's driven some of the biggest low-cost carriers um around the world For more information on airline business, including your subscription options, go to flightglobal.com forward slash airline business. At 82 years old, Bill Frankie's appetite for investment shows little sign of waning. Through his private equity fund, Indigo Partners, which he founded in 2002, Frankie has been associated with nearly a dozen airlines. Notably, he's been responsible for the proliferation of ultra-low-cost carriers all over the world. And Indigo Investments have included the likes of Frontier Airlines, Spirit Airlines, Volaris and Wizz Air. So, Lewis, you actually caught up with Bill Frankie because he, of course, won the uh, Airline Business Special Award at uh, the rec- our recent Strashy Awards in London. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, Bill Frankie was there on the night um, to, to, to collect his award. And, yeah, as you say, we had um, a, a quick uh, chat before the, the event um, just to... Uh, and as covered in the piece, really, it's um, he's got 
obviously a really interesting background where what what's interesting with him is he's kind of his starting point was as someone who had a reputation for for low cost in in business so for for cutting costs so his, his starting point wasn't an airline investor mm. and i think you know when it, he was in his 50s before he went into airlines so he wasn't um someone who necessarily had that burning ambition mm. to go go into airlines and i think that gives him a an advantage in, in many ways so as i say it was almost by accident he got called up and asked to rescue america america west um and he kind of he went in there and um and did the kind of low cost thing obviously learned a lot from that but one really interesting thing he said when I was talking to him is obviously a lot of people kind of um will um create an airline that, that they perceive that that they want you know that they would want to fly mm. with where actually you know it sounds really obvious but you know you should build one that that kind of um the customers want and and when you're talking about the the ultra low cost model he kind of prefers that 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 means you mm. know pretty sparse kind of services everything is is sold as a as an extra and and you know that 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 is how that business model can work and that and actually the carriers which are so indigo it's which is kind of this holding kind of investment company isn't it i mean there are kind of relationships between the various carriers but it's not yeah. like a, a a defined group or a holding group or no anything. no so it's not like um you know ieg or air france klm kind of um not the animal particularly want to <laughs> maybe copy that model at the moment but um but no it's certainly uh yeah it's, it's an investment company so um sophie's um piece talks about how the um the uh, airline ceos do get together so all the the airlines in the group you know once a year we'll we'll get together and, and talk about how they uh what they're doing and maybe sharing strategies but um as you say it's, it's an investment vehicle what 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 they have done though and that that is kind of similar to what the the, the big groups would do is um they placed obviously a massive order for um for aircraft with Airbus at Dubai in mm. 2017, I think. Um, so and and so they they are using that kind of group structure to get a, a good economies deal of scale, on, I guess, scale on the aircraft, and then it's it's assigning them to various airlines within in the group. But um, but yeah, yeah, they they, they do operate as, as separate carriers. And I guess one of the things which I find interesting about them is if, if you were starting a, an airline group from scratch, you'd almost look for this. Is uh, is some they have operators in different regions, which of course gives you, yeah, a, you know, a certain insulation from market conditions. That's it. And Frankie, I don't think it certainly hasn't been restricted by by geography when looking at who to invest in. So yeah, we've got Wizz Air in in Europe, obviously Frontier um, in, in the US, and they used to be uh, Spirit used to mm. be part of their their group uh, in Latin America. You've you've got JetSmart that recently started up carrying in Chile, and and they've also got um, an Argentine. Uh, unit in Argentina, mm. which is trying to take advantage of the liberalisation there, and then you look at Mexico, so Volaris. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's an interesting market for many reasons, but obviously it's quite quite a lot of carriers kind of pushing into that that low cost space. So, so yeah, it certainly hasn't been restricted. Uh, just to avoid confusion as well. Obviously, Indigo, the the Indian airline, is is not nothing to do with. Um, indigo <laughs> though um, just don't. to make it more ent- yeah. <laughs> more entertaining i think one of the indigos if not both looked at um jet airways in right um yeah. uh which is going through it in uh the indian carrier going through it, it's restructuring yes. yeah. um uh i i mean it might be yeah <laughs> it just adds another level to it, it. Does. and of course there was the you know and they've become something of a uh you know they they are interested. They're an interested player out there, and they looked at uh, and Wow Air as well. They did, yeah. So there's certainly um, 
you know they're, they're, they're very much active in looking for new investments as you say the the Huawei thing that that would that the saga of um of their kind of eventual collapse obviously uh, kind of swap between Iceland Air and um and Indigo being interested in, in investing but it just didn't work uh, work out for them um I don't think Frankie fully ruled out that market being of interest but I think the dynamics have changed a bit since then so um I think there is some sort of concern about the the idea that many people really want to fly transatlantic for example via a stop in in Iceland but um but um the other areas Brazil obviously Avianca Brazil falling over I think there was some um Frankie certainly talks about interest in the Brazilian market the uh, interesting challenge there is the language so it's not um, the same language spoken in most of the rest of Latin America so you said that's a, a challenge to consider but certainly um they they are looking at um, expanding into into new markets um, sooner rather than later. I think so. so a really interesting story uh, going on there. You can um, read our interview with uh, Bill Frankie right now. It's on the website flightglobal.com. And that's it for another um, another month. Lewis, thanks for your time. Thanks, Graham. You can find links to all the stories, not just the uh, Sophie's excellent uh, Bill Frankie interview, in the podcast notes. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, as ever, we continue to ask you, please do leave a review. It does help us shape uh, our coverage. And please also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. That way it will float in seamlessly into, into your inbox. Not into your inbox, into your... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, onto your phone. Or into, but into your preferred you get, device. Your preferred device yeah. and platform. Uh, we'll be back again in September. In the meantime, stay up to date with further breaking news over the coming weeks at flightglobal.com. See you next time.